Welcome to Untamed Intimacy, the show that helps you get to the core of what creates safety, love, connection, passion, and pleasure in your relationship. You'll learn how to resolve conflict, communicate authentically, and rekindle passion. So you can create untamed intimacy in your relationship. I'm Ani Manian. And I'm Lee Noto. We're the founders of Untamed Intimacy. And together, we serve couples all around the world to help them create the wildest love they have ever known. We believe that our relationships are the most powerful vehicles for growth, and our partners are our greatest teachers. If you're ready to create untamed intimacy in your relationship, then this is the podcast for you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that, and you'll be notified as soon as we drop a juicy episode. And if you really love and receive value from this podcast, we'd like to ask two things. Please leave a five-star review and consider connecting with us on Instagram at untamed underscore intimacy. And take a screenshot of your favorite episodes and share them in your stories so others can find this content too. And if you'd like to be coached live on air or have any questions that you'd like answered on the show, visit us at untamedintimacylive.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Untamed Intimacy. We're really happy to be here. And uh, this conversation today is brought to you by a conversation that Ani and I have been having a lot lately. And this is the concept of what it means to call in your divine masculine or divine feminine partner. First of all, what does that even mean? Because I think to most people that sounds like a bunch of spiritual woo-woo bullshit. (laughs) Okay, so let's break down this concept first because we have a lot of friends in our lives and a lot of clients who are really looking to create deep and meaningful partnership, a loving relationship where people feel supported, where people feel expressed and authentic, basically what a lot of humans live for. So let's talk for a moment about what divine feminine and divine masculine even means. Do you want to start? Should I start? You start. Okay, I'll start. So um, first of all, the distinction I want to make is that feminine and masculine are not referring to gender. So they're not referring to gender identification like man and woman do. So we all are made up of these different attributes or characteristics or qualities that take on masculine or feminine, uh, a masculine or feminine nature. And so when we talk about that, we can call it divine masculine and feminine. We can call it enlightened masculine and feminine, conscious masculine and feminine. Or even yin and yang. Yin and yang. Yeah. uh, This is basically the duality that exists in the entire universe, right? Light and dark. Um, It's really the two poles, right? I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of polarity, where there's a positive, negative charge, right? So in a battery, you can imagine that if both sides were positive or on a magnet, if, you know, both sides were um, north or both sides were south, 
there wouldn't really be any flow of energy, right? So it would really be just dead. And so when a battery is dead, you can plug it into whatever um, appliance or you know gadget you have, and it doesn't work. It's because there's no more polarity in the battery. The, the differential between the positive and the negative poles is so low, it's so small, that nothing actually flows through. So the same way in each of us human beings, regardless of our gender, regardless of you know, how we identify, there is this idea of polarity. And this idea of polarity is really what creates life. It's really what creates movement of energy. And movement of energy is what it means to be alive. And so each of us have about 40 trillion cells. And each of these cells have a voltage of 1.5 volts. So in total, in your body, you have 70 trillion volts of energy, right? And this energy is, you know, what you identify as you. Now, the same way this works as within an individual, it works in a relationship. It works in a partnership. And so this polarity, when it exists in a relationship where there is a we can call it a divine masculine aspect and a divine feminine aspect, it creates almost just like in a battery, it creates a differential, right? And that differential allows energy to flow. And for a relationship to be alive and to feel alive, we need energy to be flowing. And so just like a battery, right? Just like a magnet, if you have two people who are both in their masculine more of the time, most of the time, right, predominantly, then there isn't going to be a differential and there isn't going to be polarity and there isn't going to be a flow of energy, which means there isn't going to be that aliveness. There isn't going to be that spark. And you know this because when you meet people, sometimes you feel a spark and sometimes you don't. Right? Sometimes the, the charge is flowing. You feel those butterflies and you feel really charged up and you're turned on and you're aroused and you're intrigued and interested. And other times it's just completely flat. It's just nothing. right? And this person could be the most attractive person on the planet, but you just don't feel anything. Mm. So that's sort of a quick um, explanation of this, you know, and this is a very scientific explanation because, you know, a lot of people, they think of, um, you know, phrases like divine masculine, divine feminine as a spiritual woo-woo crap. And, you know, you can consider it that, but consider that there is a deeper scientific um, explanation for why this concept actually manifests across the universe at every level of the universe. So in the cosmos, in our, in our cosmology, and in our psychology. And it manifests at every level. It manifests all the way down to an atom where there's protons and there's neutrons and there's electrons, right? Protons have a positive charge, electrons have a negative charge. And it manifests at the individual level where this masculine-feminine balances, yin-yang balance is essential for an individual to feel alive and to be functional and to be balanced. And it also manifests at a relational level where it's really, really, really important 
for this to be true between two people, between two individuals. And for that, for that charge, for that aliveness, for that excitement, for that passion, and for that stability, for that reassurance, for that unwavering presence, for that um, container of safety, we need both. Yes. Thank you for that. Very scientific explanation. Well, I'm a trained engineer, even <laughs> though I don't do anything. Actually, I do do something with that. I engineer human consciousness. Ah, nice. Well played. So let's talk about what that means in terms of qualities. So when we talk about masculine and feminine energy, these are energies that exist within all of us. So we all have masculine energy. We all have feminine energy. The degree to which we display these qualities varies by situation, varies by perhaps uh, how we grew up, how we were raised, the city we live in. So for example, those who live in New York City typically tend to display a lot of masculine energy because there is um, a very fast pace in New York City. And so New York City is known to be a place for going and doing and achieving. And these are some qualities of the masculine. So some other qualities here are confidence and inner strength, clarity, protection, logic and focus, stability and direction, um, a sense of certainty. And so when you have tapped into these qualities within yourself, you are amping up your own masculine energy. Now, on the other side of that coin is our feminine energy, which we all have feminine energy as well. And the feminine is known to be receptive, creative, intuitive, having more stillness, tapping into flow, being able to surrender, feeling, and being at ease. And so these are just, this is not an exhaustive list of masculine and feminine attributes, but when you tap into that place, be it on a vacation or after a day of work, you are allowing your feminine energy to sort of take over and allow your body to rest and replenish, perhaps even to create. And so a lot of times when we experience imbalance within ourselves, it is almost always because there can be an imbalance in our masculine and feminine energies. So a very, um, a very common scenario is someone who's feeling burnt out and overworked, stressed out, anxious, and we see this all too often. In fact, we've normalized this as a way of living in our Western culture. And so a lot of people who experience that will have a overdeveloped sense of masculine energy and an underdeveloped sense of feminine energy. And we call this being in the shadow masculine and right? so, or the shadow feminine. Yeah. When we're in the, the shadow or the wounded masculine, then we're looking at qualities like abuse or aggression, control, a hyper sense of competitiveness, um, and someone who is um, in a dominant position. So looking to dominate or own. And we're seeing this play out sometimes within ourselves and largely within our society. Now, the flip side to that coin is when the feminine is in overdevelopment or we're, when we're in shadow or wounded feminine. And when you see that, it's someone who is in victim. So victim mentality, there's a sense of neediness or codependence. There is a sense of powerlessness or manipulation. 
Um, there may even be a sense of withholding, withholding emotion, withholding speech, withholding love. And so you can see very quickly how when these attributes within ourselves go unbalanced, it, it can really throw off our, our sense of center within and our ability to be able to lead the most fulfilling lives. So that kind of leads us into the conversation we're wanting to have now that we have some context, which is people often say to us, um, you know, I want to call in my partner. I want to call in my divine masculine partner or my, like my feminine counterpart. And something that we've been talking about is what does it actually look like to call that person in? Who do we have to be to attract that ideal partner into our lives and what's required? Because I can tell you for sure that before I called Ani in, I knew a little bit of what was required, but he definitely kept me on my toes once we started dating. So we want to break that down for you so that there is an easy and digestible way to understand what this actually looks like based on our personal experience, our experience with clients and with others. And this is also really relevant if you're already in a relationship. Because, you know, being in a relationship is not the end of the work. It's actually the beginning. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure you've heard, and I, I'm sure none of you guys are like this, right? But there's a lot of people who get into relationships to settle down. They want to be, you know, done with working on themselves and improving themselves on developing themselves and evolving. They want someone that they can sit and watch Netflix and eat chips with. I mean, that's great. We do that too. It's, you know... It's really fun. It's really relaxing. But the core idea here and the biggest mistake we see people make is they project outwards their needs and their desires. So when it's someone wanting to, um, to meet their, you know, their soulmate, their partner, the, the person that, you know, who really um, is their outside reflection in the world who can who can really team up with them in the world or someone who's already in a relationship who is dissatisfied with how their partner is showing up. The biggest, um, let's call this innocent mistake we see, right, is in needing what's on the outside to be different, right? Either there's a desire for a partner and there's a desire for the perfect partner to appear in front of them or they're in a relationship and there's a desire for their partner to suddenly become the perfect partner to them. So in all these cases, the first question we ask is, well, what are you willing to do about that in terms of yourself? Because whatever's on the outside is a reflection of what's on the inside. So our partners are typically a reflection of us and our lack of a partner on the outside is a reflection of us and our continued, um, pattern like you know behavior dating the same kind of partner is a reflection of us can i caveat that real quick yeah yeah um so i want to just make a distinction that what ani's talking about is the basis for objective information this is not a basis to judge ourselves as in oh 
if the outside world is a reflection of me, I must be doing it wrong. I must be doing it badly. That's not what we're referring to here. What we're referring to is just data and feedback. So we show up in the world one way, we get certain information back. If we show up as uh, grumpy individuals, it's likely we'll be met with a lot of that because that's what we're putting off and that's what we're going to receive back. So this is not a, a grounds to judge. It is simply... Um, a place to receive information and to look at what's coming into our lives as a way for us to understand what might be happening within. It's just biofeedback, right? It's just information that allows us to modulate how we show up so we can live in the reality that we want. Okay. You were saying. So the first distinction to make is that when we want a certain experience on the outside in the form of a relationship, in the form of a partner, the first thing to do is examine how we are showing up. And so we're about to unpack and air all our dirty laundry, right? And show you how the ways in which we were showing up in this relationship and in past relationships really, really, really affected the quality of our relationship, the quality of the experience we had. And how to actually work with yourself and what that process looks like to navigate yourself both as an individual into the place you want to be where you're happy, harmonious, peaceful, though that's, you know, it's not like that's always going to be the case 24-7. There will be conflict, there will be challenge, and that's good. And how to do that at a relational level. Yeah. Okay. So why don't we start with um, what we were doing before we met each other? Just a brief foray into how we even created each other. So um, I'll share that, uh, I think for both of us, but for myself, it was a pretty winding road of different ways of relating to myself, to men, to partners. And I had done everything, and we were both in New York City at the time, but I had tried everything from online dating and using the apps to being completely celibate to dating people who had been in my life and were friends before and now had become romantic. I'd, I was basically trying everything. And at one point I realized that I, I had a, a neediness, almost a longing. And because I, I truly wanted to create partnership. Uh, and there were a number of things that I had to reconcile within myself first, because what I was doing in all of my journaling prompts, because I'd been recommended by so many people to journal, journal about your partner, get specific. What does he look like? What do you do together? And so I had followed the advice of many friends whom this apparently had worked for. And I would journal about who this guy is, what he looks like, what we do together, where we go, what kind of lifestyle we live, how we feel when we are together. And I remember one day being in conversation with someone and someone really kicked the journaling up a notch. And they said, okay, that's great. I'm hearing about, you know, all the things he is to you, but who are you to him? How do you contribute to his life? How are you going to be a great partner to him? And I stopped and was like, wow, I hadn't thought about that. I was trying to imagine all these things he is to me and all the things he's going to do for me. And this really flipped things for me a lot. And so I started really dreaming up how I was going to contribute to my partner's life, you know, again, where we would travel together, how he would feel in my presence, how I would feel in his presence. And that really started to, 
to allow things to simmer. Um, I also had recognized in one journaling prompt that I had said, and I'd said this many times, I just want to attract a partner who can see me for all of me. He can hold me in my bliss and ecstasy, and he can also see me in my anger and sadness and rage, and he won't be scared away. He'll stay. He'll want to hold me there, and I'll feel safe with him holding me there. And in that moment, I recognized that I wasn't willing to do that for myself. I wasn't willing to see myself crying and feeling like a hot mess and look at myself in the mirror and say, Lee, I got you. Everything's going to be okay. You're beautiful. I love you. And as soon as I recognized that I wasn't being the partner to myself that I was trying to call in, I flipped the script again. And I made it my priority to be that partner to myself, to take myself on dates, to slow down, to really hold all of my emotions and let myself feel them without trying to make them, quote, unacceptable or inconvenient. And that really, really started to progress things. And there was one day I was sitting in a practice and I had recognized that I was so truly turned on by myself because I felt as if I had my own back, like for the first time in my life. And I kid you not, about three weeks later, I met Ani. Yeah, so leading up to meeting Lee, you know, I had had a string of, and I'm not going to call them failed relationships because, you know, relationships aren't a failure because they end, right? Relationships are only a failure when we fail to learn and grow from them because that's what relationships are. They're a vehicle for growth. And, you know, in my past relationships, I had replayed the same patterns and tendencies. There was codependence, there was you know, I felt incomplete, I felt uh, unworthy, I felt inadequate, and I was basically innocently using my partners to distract myself from my own pain, from my own shame, from my own guilt, from my own um, discomfort with my experience. And so, you know, I used love, relationships, sex as a coping mechanism, um, in addition to, you know, work and you know, all sorts of other things. I was an expert in, you know, <laughs> coping with uh, with lots of things. And it, you know, it really created uh, a vicious cycle of the same kinds of relationships. We'd start off, you know, really hot and heavy and we'd get enmeshed and codependent really soon. Um, I would date women who were typically in a state where they felt more helpless and had more victimy energy and they needed me. And I liked feeling needed because I thought that if I was needed, then I would also, you know, not be abandoned because mm -hmm. they need me. Right. So, and I also exhibited many of the caretaker tendencies because that helped me feel important and that helped me feel, you know, again, needed. And so I would self-select relationships where I could be the caretaker and they were energetically subconsciously looking for a caretaker and a lot of this wasn't conscious at the time right this awareness developed over time um but the result was that there was a lot of you know discomfort and unhealthy conflict and patterns and heartache and pain and you know separation and um and then another cycle of you know coping um and so 
as I dove deeper into my growth, into my journey, I was, you know, I was lucky enough to be um, dating someone who was a therapist and she introduced me to um, the world of psychology. And I started reading more and more about, you know, trauma, abuse, addiction, and what causes all these things. And I started introspecting really deeply and she helped me contextualize my experience, my childhood, Mm -hmm. see the pattern, see why um, I acted the way I did in my adult life and which of my childhood patterns and trauma I was carrying into my adult life. And that relationship ended and I basically decided that I was not going to be in another relationship that followed the same archetypes. And I wanted to be, if, if I chose to be in a relationship, I didn't need to be in a relationship, but if I chose to be in a relationship, it would be with someone who, you know, broke the mold of the kind of partners I look for. And what I sought to do was break the need for a relationship, break the need for a partner to be there who distracts me from my myself. So I spent years single. I spent years basically being in my own space, being in my own company, spending a lot of time alone and, you know, feeling that old familiar desire of wanting to pull away and, you know, go meet someone and, you know, fall into that same cycle and really sat with myself and my experience in my discomfort. And it wasn't until I was able to, and I used to tell my friends, I used to tell my friends, you know, the kind of partner I would want to be with, you know, someone who was really present, who was really aware, who could meet me intellectually, emotionally, physically, intimately, um, socially, you know, and I would describe this person, but that person didn't appear till I was completely okay with being with myself. Mm. I think that's the big piece that you just hit on right there is an acceptance, a very deep acceptance for where we're at. And we have similar stories in that sense, in that it wasn't until I had made peace with being single that anything, that that there was hope for any sort of relationship to start. I mean, neediness is like such a turnoff, right? I don't know. I think it's hot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's it it really like for me personally, you know, it I I always you know, it's not that there was judgment, but it didn't turn me on. And it's funny like there's this whole trope of playing hard to get and you know, men who wait 3 days to respond because they don't want to come off as needy. Um, and then women, you know, feeling like, oh, he's doing the, the, the standard three-day text wait. But, you know, all these things, they, they really build up desire. I mean, it's not, I don't recommend it. It's not, um, I personally don't care for those games. But um, maybe, you're going to make a, a, a how to build desire 101 course. And this will be the yeah, prime like content. Wait, wait at least one week to respond uh, after a first date and then even when you do respond, respond only in single letter sentences. With periods at the end? Yeah. Okay, period. Yeah, really passive aggressive. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, but, But neediness, right? Like what is neediness? Neediness is needing, literally needing something or someone else to feel okay. 
And this is the ultimate mindfuck because if you really are desiring um, having a partner or if you already have a partner and you really want that partner to be a certain way so that you feel a certain way, your need for something to be different in your external environment is going to send a signal radiating in all directions outside you that's going to repel typically what you want. And this, I mean, we've seen that. So even after we, we met and, you know, we were friends for a while and we started dating, it's not that the work was over. It's not that, you know, the story we shared about leading up to meeting, like that was the hard work. And then once we met, it was happily ever after. <laughs> Quite the opposite. <laughs> do you want to, you want to get a little bit into that? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so the, the big key here prior to meeting your partner and even in relationship is acceptance, radical acceptance of how and where things are, barring actual, you know, abuse and harm, of course. Um, so like Ani said, once we got into relationship, it's not as if we had strolled off into the sunset happily ever after, although the first few months did feel quite, quite whimsical. Um, but we had quickly started cohabitating, and only a few months after dating, Ani had the brilliant yet crazy idea of going nomadic, leaving New York City, throwing caution to the wind, and traveling. And I was crazy enough to say yes, but I had a really good feeling about it. And um, so this really opened up a lot of opportunity for us to get uncomfortable. It in intellectual idea, the concept of leaving a big city to travel the world seems really romantic. Yet when we're talking about the practical aspects of it, what we were doing was we had gotten rid of 80% of our things. We put a little bit in storage. We packed four suitcases and two big travelers backpacks and we hit the road. Now we were going from place to place month by month, meaning that every single month we were unpacking our things and repacking them. So we had about a month to settle somewhere and we found that we settled quickly in each place, but by the time we settled, it was time to pick up and go again. And as again, romantic as it sounds, it really led to a lot of ungroundedness. So for, from my personal perspective, I didn't always know it at the time. I didn't feel safe to really expand and grow into a place. And because of that lack of safety, I was getting massively triggered very often. And in, in my own personal constitution, based on my upbringing, when I get triggered or when someone points something out to me and gives me constructive or not so constructive feedback, one of my go-tos is to become defensive. And the defensiveness is a means of trying to protect myself or defend myself because in my childhood, it wasn't okay to be wrong. It wasn't okay to get an answer wrong. It wasn't okay to not know an answer. That was just considered unacceptable. And, you know, going back, when you didn't feel safe on the inside, you tried to control everything on the outside. Oh, I would start cleaning everything. And I would, like, I would totally bitch at Ani. I'm like, how come you didn't do these dishes? We have to keep this place clean. I mean, it was... It was like a great A I mean, wreck. You were turning supplement labels like three degrees because you know it didn't look. I was like, why would you put a bottle back on the shelf and not turn it so we can see the label? 
little things, but you know, this is what happens when we don't feel safe inside. We try to control everything on the outside. So if you find yourself exhibiting controlling tendencies, ask yourself, do I feel safe on the inside? And what do I need to feel safe? That's a big one. What do I need to feel safe? Right. And so control was one, right? Um, the second one was the defensiveness. Defensiveness, um, projection. And listen, we all project to some degree or other because we're living in our own individual experience. Now, if you have a lot of practice with empathy, then you may be you may easily be able to take yourself out of your experience and be with someone in their experience. But up until that point in my life, I haven't I hadn't had a lot of practice with really deep empathy, especially when empathy seemed to be in competition with my perceived sense of safety. And so when that was the case, empathy would go out the window and I would do anything I could at all costs to make myself safe. And my idea of that was getting defensive, controlling things in my physical environment, projecting. And so this was at a point in my life and our relationship when I had already done a lot of personal development work, but this was the next level because oftentimes we there's only so much personal development we can do in a vacuum by ourselves, single. We can do a lot, but when we attract that partner into our lives, they are mirrors for us. So they will show us all the great things and beautiful qualities about ourselves. They're also going to show us where we still have pain, where we still have emotions that are perhaps unresolved. And that is exactly what this relationship has done. So oftentimes I would find myself upset about one thing, but projecting out at Ani for something else because I hadn't taken the time to understand what is the root of this upset for me? What is the root of this sadness or anger? And in fact, there weren't many times where I even thought, I think I'm holding on to a lot of anger right now, or I think I'm feeling really sad. And so there was a, in some instances, a bypass of the introspection and right to a reaction. And when I shared, when I gave her feedback about what was happening, right, how her reaction was hurting me, her typical reaction was to get really defensive, to deny what happened, really what she did, or distort what happened. Now, this for Lee was like the only way that as a kid, she knew how to keep herself safe. But as an adult, when this happened, I didn't feel like my experience was empathized with, right? There was not a, a sense that she was able to hold space for my pain, which was caused by her reaction. And even that is an erroneous statement because she can't cause me pain, right? She can, I mean, if she physically hits me, yes. Um, but we can only cause ourselves pain using the things that others do and say obviously not excusing physical abuse or any kind of abuse in that sense. So let's talk about this idea of holding space. Yeah, well, let's, let's first um, just acknowledge the fact that what is typical in most relationships uh, is that we attract people who have what is called a trauma bond. And so we attract partners that, yes, we have a lot of compatibility with, and there's also compatibility in the trauma wounding that we have from early childhood. So my, my deepest core wounds that I received in relationship with my mother and father at a very early age 
were very easily triggered by Ani and vice versa. I triggered his deep core wounds. My deep core wounds were not being seen, not being heard, not having, not being empathized with, not having my experience be taken into account. And the other person denying, distorting, projecting, and distorting what happened. So here comes Lee, right? Now, this is a great example because I can either see Lee as the ultimate villain, right? Who basically is coming in, hurting me in my most vulnerable parts, you know, taking a knife to the places where I'm you know, where I have no protection. Or I can see her as a divine gift helping me work through and process that pain that has, you know, until now gone unprocessed, unresolved, right? She can only trigger me if there's pain in me in those areas already, right? So a, a great example is if she basically right now starts yelling at me saying that I'm bald, right? that um, I don't have the ability to grow facial hair, it wouldn't get to me, right? Because that, and this is a silly example, but there isn't a trigger or a wound around that in me. I'm just going to laugh at her and dismiss her. And if she gets meaner and louder, it's not going to change my experience. I'm just going to be like, whoa, what, the, you nuts? Um, you know, it, it's not going to get to me. The only way it can get to me is if I maybe have some sort of insecurity around my hair, right? Then when she says something about my hair, that thing is magnified a thousand, thousand times over. And then I get upset because I feel pain and then now I feel pain and I don't want to hold my pain. So I take my pain, I turn it into anger and I throw it at her, right? That's how most conflict starts. So it's, it's, Ironic as well, because your expression of emotion is exactly, it's very similar to my mother's expression right, of emotion. Right, right, You want to say a little bit about that? Mm, why don't you start? Well, so uh, one of the patterns that I've demonstrated in this relationship is the need to change Lee, the need to um, improve Lee in a way. And that was my mechanism to keep myself safe. Mm right? So this is, again, rather than being with my pain, rather than being with my experience, I learned at an early age that I had to, the only way I could survive was to control um, my parents and try to alter how they behaved and how they acted because I didn't have the tools or the awareness or the, the space to hold myself. No one showed me how, no one taught me how. And Controlling the external world was, you know, the only option that seemed to make sense. So in this case, when I experienced pain, when I experienced, you know, not being empathized with, not being seen, not being taken into account, the first thing that made sense to me, to my primal brain, really, because all this is reptilian limbic behavior, right? It's instinctive, it's trauma-based, it's um, a core wound that gets triggered and activated was to change her because if she got better at holding space for me, then I could be safe, right? Then I wouldn't have to feel pain. And for her, you want to talk about how this was what you went through as a kid? Yeah. Uh, well, there was always uh, a sense of needing to improve. 
that was just the idea from very early on that nothing was ever good enough. And so Ani's feedback would often trigger my mother wound of just not being good enough. And I often felt not good enough. And this was the idea that I had created in my head without, often without asking myself, do I really feel that way? Did I ever really feel that way in relationship with my mother? Did I ever really feel that way here? Do I think that's the truth versus taking someone's word as truth? And, and often the form of feedback I would say, you know, we've improved in this a lot, but the form of feedback was generally pretty rough. Yeah, which came from my dad because my whole life growing up, that's how my dad gave me feedback, right? And that's how he communicated with me. And it was, I was never good enough, right? I always needed to be different, to be better, to improve, to win his love. And I never actually experienced his love in that sense. So it was basically wired into me to relate to you know, my, my partner, my family in that way. Right. And so all of that stuff got projected onto Lee. Right. And so you can start seeing this web. It's almost like a perfect jigsaw puzzle, two jigsaw puzzles completing each other. And you can see it one of two ways. You can see it as, oh, wow, like all your triggers match all of her triggers. And you guys basically triggered the living shit out of each other or, or, and, you can see it as the most incredible gift to transcend and to do the work that would be impossible to do by ourselves. Because we both took a lot of time solo, right? Not being in a relationship before meeting each other, right? And none of this stuff would be able to come up, right? And so this relationship, even though at times it's been insanely hellish, right? We've had epic fights. We've had crazy conflict. We've had a lot of tears, a lot of pain, a lot of, you know, all the shit. And it's been the greatest gift both of us have ever received because of the fact that it's brought forward. It's, it's shown a light on all the areas within ourselves where we needed to hold ourselves, where we needed to be with ourselves, where we needed to process the pain that had long been buried really deep, really, really deep. So another point that I'm going to make right now is that your dream relationship will call out all of this stuff. Yeah, there's, there's really no such thing. I mean, we, we look up to, you know, I mean, as society, we look up to all of these power couples, these conscious couples, and it, you know, seemingly... They appear great on camera. They look great on their Instagram stories when they're on vacation in Bali or wherever. But when you really create that conscientious relationship, it is going to call you forth to the greatest version of yourself if you choose to accept the adventure. And this kind of gets back to what we were talking about earlier, which is, okay, how do we attract our ideal partner? And once we attract them, then what? Because nobody's ever talking about the what happens after we, we you know, create them out of thin air. It's like, oh, okay, now we're in the, in the relationship we want to be in. Okay, now we can stroll off into the sunset. That's not how it goes. Now is when the work begins, the play and the work, because this kind of relationship, if it is not seated in a bed of complacency and non-desire for growth, then um, 
it is going to call forth our greatest triggers and traumas. So if you want to really call forth this aspect within yourself, right? This divine feminine, divine masculine aspect, we want to share like one quality each that you can embody. And this is something that, you know, we've spent a lot of time uh, working on and really trying to bring out within ourselves and each other. So as the masculine, one of the deepest ways you can serve your partner is by creating a, a space for safety, uh, creating a space where it's safe for your partner to express fully without needing to censor themselves, without needing to um, you know, make themselves small, make their voice small. And being unwavering, holding an unconditional unwavering presence, standing or sitting strong as almost like a rock, not being you know, affected and bothered by whatever um, they're saying, whatever they're going through. And what this does for the feminine is it creates safety. It creates a sense of um, structure and it creates a container that the feminine can basically take on. It's like water in a cup, right? It's being the cup for the feminine to just lose all her masculine uh, rigidity into armor. armor, right? And the feminine craves that. The feminine craves to unravel to just allow herself to de-armor herself and just be. And she can only do that when she feels safe. And so as the masculine, can you hold that space for your feminine partner, right? Can you be that space of presence? And the key to being able to do this is to not take anything personally. So if you can avoid making it about you, whatever she is going through, whatever she's saying, however she's feeling, if you can keep yourself from making it about you and taking it personally, then it'll be much, much, much easier for you to be that unwavering presence. And just a side note, you know, one of the ways to be able to do this with a partner is to be able to do it within yourself. So one, it doesn't matter what your gender identification is. It doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. This applies to non-heteronormative relationships as well. Typically, one partner will have a little more masculine energy naturally, and one will have a little more feminine energy. But even if that's not the case, being able to hold this space within yourself when your own stuff comes up, being your own masculine container so that your own feminine emotions can flow and emote is key. And in fact, if that's not present, it's, it's likely that it's not sustainable, that you'll be able to continuously hold space for someone else in that way. And that's a huge point, right? Before we can do this for the other, we have to be able to do this for ourselves. And in our relationship, we had to learn to do this for ourselves before we could do it for the other. And so this is the, the, the beauty of the, the design of you know, humanity, that there is this perfect symmetry, there's this perfect reflection. And if you see something off on the outside in your relationships, it's likely that it's off on the inside for you. And if you can find a way to hold that space for yourself, then you'll find it a lot easier to do that for the relationships on the outside. So let's talk about uh, a way to bring more feminine energy into a relationship within yourself, with a partner. 
And one of the most beautiful aspects of the feminine is the loving, nurturing, affectionate energy. And this is something that I really, really had to practice a lot of because typically I I could be very pragmatic, but I wasn't always warm. And so this was, you know, this is learning how to soften into your own heart. And what that can look like in practice is slowing down so that you can actually feel what's happening for you, which oftentimes can feel scary because we're not taught how to reconcile and process and hold space for our own emotions. But the more we can do that for ourselves, the more we can support ourselves or reach out to trusted friends and loved ones or trusted professionals, the more we have a space to really access emotions which automatically opens us up to our own heart. And when we can be open in our hearts, firstly to ourselves, we can absolutely do that with others. And as I started opening up to myself and learning to um, to accept my own emotions, to feel them, to process them, to ask for help when I needed help, I was able to open my heart to Ani. And so when I hold space for him now, I can very quickly sense what he needs. And of course I can ask, hey babe, what do you need? Which is always a good option to make sure we're not making assumptions. But I can sense when he needs my gentleness versus when he might be more willing to receive feedback or a suggestion or an opinion. And this is a really important distinction to make because like Ani had said earlier, you know, sometimes we think we know what's best for others and we try to change them or try to make them see our perspective, but that's not always what people need or what would allow them to feel safe and supported. So asking the question, hey, what do you need right now? What do you need to feel safe? What do you need to feel supported? And checking in and seeing if you can provide that support for your partner through a hug, through nurturing, through feedback, whatever it is that they request. And that's a really beautiful way to really meet them where they're at, meet their needs, and also be the the person who gets to hold space. Beautiful. Cool. So uh, let us know if you have any questions about this. We'd love to hear from you. You can write us at hello at untamedintimacy.com. Also, would highly recommend if you love what you're hearing and this is helpful for you, Follow us on Instagram. We're at untamed underscore intimacy. And you can link to our personal Instagram pages from there. And leave us a review on this on this podcast if you found this useful. It really helps get the word out to a lot more people who really need this kind of vulnerability, this kind of uh, message. Because in this world, if we can help create untamed intimacy both within ourselves and in our relationships, it really will help make the world a better place. So we really appreciate your support. We really appreciate you guys tuning in. We can't wait to be back here with some more juice for you guys. In the meantime, much love and good vibes. See ya. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you made it this far, it probably means that you enjoyed listening, learned a lot, and are one step closer to deeper intimacy. To help couples like you discover the show and transform their lives, please consider leaving a five-star review and hitting subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at untamed underscore intimacy. We'd love to hear from you there. If you want to be the first to gain access to exclusive content, practices, and tools to create untamed intimacy in your life, join our mailing list by clicking the link in the show notes. You'll receive powerfully curated content 
That's no bullshit and pure love. And if you want to learn more about creating untamed intimacy in your life, then visit us at untamedintimacy.com. We see you and we appreciate you. Until next time, much love and good vibes.